1: Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Barn podcast. Um, Hi, Dr. Cubitt. How are you doing today? I'm
0: doing great, Katie. I am excited for another recording.
1: Yeah. And today we are going to be talking about what to do when you run out of hay. We're kind of At that time of year where spring is kind of here, grass is really wanting to grow, but it's not necessarily very well established enough to have horses or other livestock out there grazing. And, you know, whether we don't have the space to store large quantities of hay and we've maybe run out of our normal supply or, you know, we had to feed maybe more than anticipated just due to unexpected colder temperatures that we had this winter or even, you know, other times of year, anybody that's maybe impacted by like natural disasters, any, any kind of events like that. Um, it's always good to know what your options are if you can't get your normal hay supply. And so I'm really excited to chat with you about that today.
0: Excellent. And we really are in a transitional period, you know, even if you've got plenty of, hay, it's just transitioning your, how do you transition your horses to that green grass too? And there's things that you need to remember about that fresh green grass, even if you have it available to you, is the spring grass and the earlier on it's about 80% moisture and only about 20% dry matter. So, you know, if you've listened to us at all, you've heard me say that, a horse conservatively needs to eat at least 1.5% of their body weight. We're hoping that they're eating more like two, two and a half percent of their body weight in dry forage. So, or dry matter. So that's for a thousand pound horses, anywhere from 15 to 25 pounds of dry matter. Well, if you if you look outside and you've got a little bit of grass and you think, I don't need to feed hay anymore, they've got plenty of grass. Remember that for every mouthful of grass that they take only 20% is counting towards that kind of 15 to 25 pounds of of dry matter intake because it is so full of moisture right now. So it's normal as we're transitioning to see a little bit of loose manure because the horse is just adjusting to all that moisture content in the diet. But there are a lot of things that we can use that we can purchase to make our life easier. If we run out of hay, if we don't have the best quality hay, if we simply don't have the place to store it. Um, And it's exciting to talk about those today because I know that it is a common question that i get from all my clients all around the world is it, it's the concern about hay um and availability and quality so it's it's good to for people to know what other options are out there
1: and you mentioned horses need 1.5 to 2 2.5% of their body weight in hay right dry hay so tell us a little bit though what can happen to a horse if it isn't fed or doesn't consume enough forage what's going to happen to the horse
0: if you, if they don't consume enough dry matter dry you know forage fiber one of the first things you'll see is they'll start chewing wood. And so it's very common for horses at the end of winter to start chewing on wood, even if they have pasture available to them, because that pasture is really digestible and it doesn't have a lot of that dry matter. So they'll start chewing wood. Maybe that's your fences, your trees, your stalls. Um, you know, they'll start to eat bedding. Um, they would be some simple things that you would see, but then you can also notice some behavioral changes if they get uncomfortable because they may be have developed some hindgut issues due to that lack of, of fiber. But some of the early things you would see is just their increased chewing.
1: Right. And so, you know, we're kind of at that transitional period. So then talk to us a little bit. What are the different forms of forage that horse owners can consider? I mean, most everyone is familiar with the traditional baled hay that is out there. But what other forms are available and
0: what can they consider? Okay, so let's take um, Timothy Hay, for example. Well, we can have Timothy in a giant, big square bale. You can, which is seen a lot more in the West, these giant bales. Um, You can have a regular size 40, 50 pound bale that most people are familiar with. You can have the compressed bales. Then you could take that Timothy hay and you could run it through a chopping machine and you could make that into chop. You could squeeze it and put it into a cube. You can chop it even finer or grind it and make it into a pellet. All of those are different physical forms, but they all have exactly the same nutritional value and nutritional content. Now, you may lean towards one versus the other. If you have, say, a senior horse or a horse that has very poor teeth, you're going to go towards the product that's more mechanically processed, like a pellet, because the fiber lengths are a lot shorter and so they can consume it easier. They can actually kind of mush it up in their teeth and swallow it easier, but don't... Don't get confused and think that Timothy pellet or alfalfa pellet is more digestible or offers more nutrition than uh, a Timothy hay, for example, long stem hay. That being said, the benefits of all these different meca- uh, processing is it's easy to whip down to the local store that sells your your bagged forage product, your Stanley product, and be able to pick up a 50 pound sack of Timothy pellets and you put them in the back of your, your car and go home and you've immediately got it. And it's easy to store, um, easy to just get whenever you need it quality. Everything that goes in a bag has a guaranteed analysis. So it's always going to be the same versus picking up local hay. You know, that's much more difficult. You've got to have the right type of vehicle. You've got to have the right place to store it. So there are some of the differences, I guess.
1: Right. And horses, I mean, along with a lot of other livestock, I think it's just what happens when you own livestock, but they have a tendency to waste hay sometimes too. And so if you're looking for ways to kind of limit waste,
0: Cubes and pellets kind of offer good... Absolutely, because you can put it in the bucket and you can control their intake. You can control control better the waste. Now, what I will say is there's pros and cons to everything, right? Okay, so right. you have long stem hay, which is the longer fiber lengths, is more natural to the horse. It's going to encourage chewing, a lot more saliva production, a, mo- a lot more even wear of their teeth that's perfect. But some of the downsides to long stem hay is that they can waste more of it I mm-hmm. can't pick it up in my Honda fit. And I have a lot, I have to have a lot of storage area to store that. And sometimes it can get a little dusty um, if it's been stored for a long time and not in the best conditions versus the pelleted forage. Okay. The downside to pe- pelleted forages is that horses are going to consume them a lot quicker. Right. Um, but we can account for that, right? We can, we can slow, we can use slow feeders and we can kind of stretch it out. Um, but the positives are. It's easy to pick up, easy to store, controlled. Every bag's the same. Um, so there's, it's as long as you know exactly what you're getting into, then you can account for the negatives, account for the positives, and we can do the best by our animals. So
1: Right. Well, and, you know, unless a horse is really kind of at their end of life, kind of where they really have no teeth to work with, and they really can't eat any other type of forage besides whatever is mashed there for them. It's probably a lot to do with balance as well, right? Just yeah. different offerings and using things to benefit your situation. Because like you've talked about before, everybody's situation is different. You know, we all Absolutely. kind of lead different lifestyles. Mm-hmm. And so we have to kind of use what works best for our situation.
0: Yeah. And I would say, you know, there are very few horses that I have on a hundred percent pelleted or cubed forage. They're typically the ones that have very poor dentition, and that's all that they can eat. And maybe I'm doing a senior feed, and then I'm adding these, um, which is high in fiber uh, and got vitamins and minerals. And then we're adding different fiber sources because we want to keep that variety because that boosts the microflora that live in the hindgut, which we call the microbiome. And that's really healthy for a horse. But in other situations, you're exactly right. It's what works best for you, for your management for your geographic location, for your budget, for your horse. And these are things like on our podcast and our little chats, we talk about all of these different options so that the listeners can, okay, well, that would work for me. And that probably, that might not work so great, but we're giving all these options so that you pick the things that work the best for your particular scenario. And you can do that. So, And while we're on this topic, actually,
1: I think people sometimes confuse just like with horses being another type of larger livestock like cattle. So where cattle, uh, they need the long stem forage to make their digestive systems work. They have to have long stem. That's not necessarily the case for
0: horses. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. And you really see that fiber length having more of a role in a ruminant digestive system where the fermentation vat is at the very beginning but if you look at a horse they are what we call a hindgut fermenter because the fermentation vat is at the hind end the the last part of the digestive system so in the horse they've chewed up that hay and they've broken it down they've masticated it and they swallowed it goes through the stomach acid's breaking it down goes through the small intestine we've got some enzymatic digestion and then it's getting to the hindgut so it's already kind of a Lot smaller by that point. But the bacteria in the horse don't necessarily need the longer fiber lengths like a ruminant animal does, definitely. But what I will say is that there are other reasons why, if possible, you should always have some long stem fiber in a horse's diet. It's not necessarily about the microbes, it's more about mental health and the time it takes for them to chew. So, for example, if you travel a lot with your horses, Um, and you're competing a lot, you're going to a lot of shows and you're traveling on weekends a lot, I would definitely encourage you to have a pelleted forage in your program. And the reason why I would do that, okay, so we get to the show and, oh, we ran out of hay. What do you do? Because the hay that I bought from eight hours away is not available at the show and you know that making rapid feeding changes in your horse is not a good idea and drastically changing the hay type can also elicit these digestive issues. If your horse though is adjusted to having this pelleted forage in their diet and a Stanley product, it's widely available. Chances are where you've gone eight hours away to your show, you can go down to the local dealer and they will sell the exact same bag and you're not without a forage that that horse is adjusted to. So there are certain situations where I would absolutely recommend it be part of your program.
1: That's a good point, especially to kind of think ahead of time and have Mm -hmm. that um, mentality just because you never know. You you don't expect to run out of hay. It's not something obviously anybody plans for. And so that's a good, I I guess, more of a proactive
0: approach to um, taking care of your horse with your lifestyle. Absolutely. And another situation would be, you know, there are places, let's use California for example. There are certain areas of California which are more at risk of fire and evacuation and mudslides than other areas of the country. So if you know that every year there is a chance of evacuation, then get your horse adjusted to a pelleted forage have it as part of your diet because that's so much easier for you. Okay, you get to the evacuation site or you get to your friend's barn where you've had to to go to to get safe it's so much easier for you to go down to the store and get some of the you know stanley timothy pellets that the horse is used to having as part of his diet and now you know that's one less thing in this super stressful situation that has changed on him and for you as well just knowing peace of mind i can easily keep feeding my horse and that's going to stay a consistent
1: Right, and the last thing you'd want to do is have your horse colic or you know something awful on top of
0: it. Exactly, you're already in a super stressful environment, so that's a high possibility. So if we can take away one more stressor, like drastically changing the feed, which sometimes happens in these situations, um, so you're right. It's just about being proactive, thinking ahead as best we can. Right, that's a great idea, and that kind of leads me into
1: my next question. So that was a great. Uh, example of how you can really get caught up and you know run out of hay without intending to so let's say we're home and we're kind of at this time of year and we realize that our supply is a little bit lower than we expected it to be it always again going with the proactive approach we notice that there we do have a handful of bales left like there's enough there but there's not going to be enough there probably by the time that you get ready to put your horses back out on pasture. So. How can we safely transition them? I mean, you talked about the pellets and everything, but how can we safely transition them so the horse doesn't have a colic episode or any other digestive issues as we're making that transition?
0: You know, the exact same way if you were going to try a new feed with your horse and you were going to adjust them to it and the general rule of thumb is about 14 days to transition your horse. And that number comes from So in the hindgut of the horse, there is what we call the microbiome, which is a group of millions and trillions of different types of organisms, bacteria and yeast and fungi and all kinds of things that make up this living thing that has so much influence over your horse. Now, it takes a full 21 days for that microbiome and all of the different parts of that to adjust to new types of food. And some horses we know that when we change the hay type can be just as stressful on them as changing the grain. So If you get, and we've got, you know, we've just got a couple more months where I need to be feeding hay more consistently because there is a little bit of grass out there. But as we mentioned, it's very high in moisture content and I'm just wanting to save my pastures. Um, There's no hay available in my area until we get our next first cutting. So how can I extend the hay that we have? And you can go by yourself. So let's say you feed a lot of alfalfa now, then you can easily go get some alfalfa pellets and you can probably within about a seven day window, start adjusting, adding those in. Um, If you're feeding a local grass hay and you're going to go down and buy some Timothy Orchard grass pellets, then you could buy those and just slowly add them in to your program as if you were changing your feed or adding in some feed. Um, So you're going to slowly take out a few pounds of hay and put in a few pounds of those pellets. And over that seven day window, you're going to decide, okay, well, I have, you know, 50 bales or 20 bales, depending on how many horses you have of hay left. And if I'm feeding my horses right now, I'm feeding 20 pounds a day to the horses, but I need it all to last a little longer. So I can actually only feed my horses 15 pounds of hay a day. So I'm gonna have to find five pounds from somewhere else. So I'm gonna feed five pounds of the orchard or whatever pelleted forage or cube that you have decided on. Then you just slowly adjust them to it, probably only over about a seven day window when you at adjusting haze, especially if it's in the same grouping, but that's how I would do it.
1: That's awesome. So, you talked a little bit about transitioning horses when we're feeding different types of hay. And then also, you know, of course, with different suppliers, just because, you know, different qualities of hay can impact the digestive system as well. Is it necessary? I mean, if you want to use Stanley as an example, would you need to transition based off of the different forms? So, like if your horse is used to maybe eating more pellets lately than not, would there need to be a situation where you need to transition
0: based off of the form um okay yes and no partly for the person yes because they have to get used to how much quicker it is for the horses going to eat that but the one way that I would say absolutely, yes, you want to slowly transition them is let's say we are transitioning from my horse has only ever eaten hay, and maybe he gets a bit of textured feed, but he doesn't get a lot of pellets in his diet. And now we're going to go to adding some pelleted forage in because they're naive to that. They may not chew it as well. And so we don't want them to rush and chew too quickly. So I would just always slowly add in if we're going from long stem to a, pelleted or cube, I would definitely slowly introduce it so they're not just eating too quickly. But if you're going the other way and you're going from a pelleted forage to a longer stem hay, um, you can do that. I, I always still recommend that you slowly transition because you just never know with horses. But definitely if you're going to add in pelleted forage, even if it's in the same brand, if it's in the same category, like we're going from alfalfa hay that's Stanley to alfalfa pellets or cube that are Stanley, you know that the nutritional value is going to be the same, but it's new to them, the actual physical form. So I would slowly introduce it
1: and that's a good segue into if someone maybe has never fed pellets or cubes how would you recommend feeding those formats um wet dry or weighing like how do you how do you do all that
0: um i always would recommend wetting it when you don't know the horse's backstory as far as them eating pellets or cubes, or they haven't really eaten those physical forms before. Because what happens when a horse is chewing hay, long stem hay, it takes a lot more chews. And you know, every chew you make, you produce saliva, right? And so that saliva helps to lubricate the throat. But then out of the blue, you throw in a bunch of pellets that they're not used to eating And then they eat that really quickly. Well, they're used to having a lot of saliva to swallow that food. And now all of a sudden they're chewing really quickly and maybe they don't have as much saliva. So you would definitely want to make sure anytime you don't know your horse's backstory or it's a new ingredient that they've not had before or physical form, I would always wet it. Right. That's a great point. And I also would make sure that I fed hay first. So the hay that they're used to eating at mealtime, I would feed them some of that hay before I put down the pellets. I wouldn't feed them the pellets when they're super hungry, because it will they will eat them fast. Inhale them. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. No. And we wouldn't want to get in that situation.
1: What do you recommend if we're going to wet them? How do you recommend that new people who maybe have never fed pellets or cubes before? Is there a certain amount of water to to pellets or cubes and then do you just give it all to them? Do you drain it out or how does how do you recommend they um feed that?
0: Well, it depends um depending on what you're wetting. I mean, something like beet pulp, you'll see that it'll soak up more water than a cube will soak up less water than a mm-hmm. pellet will and it also depends on the humidity and the dryness of your just local environment as to how much how dry they are and how much they'll soak up um but i always recommend like a two to one ratio so if you've got if you've got your scoop and you put in your scoop of pellets whatever your scoop is add two of those scoops of water and let it sit in a bucket for five or ten minutes and then you can just feed that whole water pellet slash cube mixture to the horse. Again, if we're just introducing it to the horse, well, maybe in the end, we're going to be feeding a total of three scoops per feeding, but we just start out with one scoop. So I wouldn't be wetting three scoops and then just giving them a little bit. Because again, if this is the summertime, we're doing this, the longer it sits, we don't want it to sit too long and have flies and that kind of thing. So just the amount that you want to feed the smaller amount, wet it, feed them the hay first, whatever they're used to eating, then give it to them, monitor them. Anytime you have a new horse to your barn, all watch them eating watch them get used to get a feel for how that horse eats and then you know when something goes wrong too you know what abnormal looks like all too often we just i check them the feed onto the next one onto the next one and if i said well how how does this horse normally eat i don't know um you know so that just comes back to i know we are all really busy but just trying to get used to each different horse and what their normal is Right.
1: It it reminds me of having kids. It's like you end up knowing your kids better than anybody else ever will, and so you get to know what's normal for them because everybody's different. Every horse Absolutely. is different, and so
0: they all have their little intricacies. I know. I've got one kid that it's going to take three hours for him to eat one taco, right. and another kid that is going to inhale three tacos in three minutes. And that's normal. They're both just that's just them. That's just their personality makes mm-hmm. them who they are, right? <laughs> yeah. And I really think that when we think about horses, think about horses just like people. They're genetically different. They have personalities that are very different. It's not like if you're working in a dairy or a swine operation or a chicken operation where these animals have been bred to be genetically very, very similar so that the outcome is similar when you feed them all the same thing. But we don't do that with horses, you know? So every everyone's gonna be a little different.
1: So you talked a little bit before about how like the different formats nutritionally, they're the same. Um, they digest similar and all of that, except for the fact that like with the long stem, obviously it takes more chews than it would. For like a pellet. But I think some people look at some of these different types of formats and see them as I don't know if they view them as maybe like a concentrate or what they are, but they don't necessarily view them as hay, they see it as something different from hay. And so I've I've heard some say like, how much quote unquote, alternate hay can I safely feed
0: my horse? Is there a limit? Does that matter? um and and this is why I kind of call these products hay alternatives because in my mind i I kind of associate hay with long stem fibers, and that's what in my mind, I think of as hay, and so these are uh if we think we need to feed horses forage in general and then there's different forms of forage, whether it be long stem hay or pellets or cubes um really, it all comes down to pounds if I balance a diet for you. And I say that your horse needs to eat 15 pounds of dry fiber. That's that's what he needs to eat in a day, dry matter then whether it's coming from hay or it's coming from pellets or cubes, he still needs to eat 15 pounds. And that right there can be a challenge because you're right. Some people look at these pelleted forage sources as a more of the concentrate and they're, oh, I can't feed that much. But if you've got a horse, especially let's say the senior horse, that has got no teeth or he's got very poor teeth and he's getting all of his fiber from um, these pelleted forage, these hay alternatives we're feeding, he needs to eat at least 15 pounds a day and you don't want to offer that to him in two meals you want to try and stretch that out feed it in three four five meals a day but you're right people can get a little confused because of the physical form because most things that come in bags are more of a concentrate or grain-based product and you know we've drilled into people that you don't want to feed two larger meals because it's not great for the horse's gut and that kind of thing Okay.
1: So let's say our hay supply is dwindling down. We're able to scrounge up some local hay. It might be of poor quality just because... I don't know anybody trying this time of year to buy hay. For one, it's probably going to be skyrocketed in price. (laughs) And the quality also is not going to be so great just because, you know, supply and demand. Right. Mm -hmm. And so let's say that we have that hay, but we don't have as good a quality as we would have liked to get. What can we do to improve the diet of our horse? Is
0: supplementing with a higher quality forage such a thing? So this is a great question because when I talk with people, with all my customers and clients about these kind of hay alternatives, these bagged forage products. There's two main reasons why I feed them. You're either trying to stretch out your forage supply or you're trying to improve your forage quality. So let's say the scenario you gave where I was able to get my hands on a little bit more local grass hay to just give my horses the the kind of fiber they need to chew on. But I have performance horses and... They require a lot of calories, or I've got broodmares and they need a lot of calories and nutrition, and I know that it's not coming from this local hay; um, it's really just fiber that they're eating. Then, absolutely, these would be perfect scenarios to bring in some alfalfa, for example, alfalfa pellets or cubes, or an orchard alfalfa mix, because now we're able to improve the nutritional value of that forage that we're providing, so that we don't have to rely on feeding those horses a lot of extra grain to get the calories.
1: That's great. I think giving us some other options for fiber sources for our horses is wonderful when we can use those opportunities that are there. Absolutely. So... The next segment that I kind of want to go into, we've actually gotten some questions from some of our followers and listeners regarding this type of topic. And so now we're going to segue into some of those questions that they have had and they have brought up to us. So speaking of alfalfa, one of the first questions that I had was, can you feed alfalfa
0: pellets instead of grain? Ah, good question. Okay. So yes and no. Um, No, because alfalfa pellets, they're not going to give you a balanced diet, right? They're not going to give you the copper and zinc and selenium that your horse needs. And if we replace the word grain with concentrate, because remember, not all grains are fortified with vitamins and minerals, but if we really the question the person is really asking is that bag of you know commercial concentrate that i'm buying from the store can i replace all of that with alfalfa. No, that situation you couldn't, you could replace the calories. So instead of buying a concentrate that's really high in calories, maybe it's got actually got a lot more cereal grain in it to bring the calories up. You can certainly replace the calories and protein with an alfalfa product. But as far as the vitamins and minerals, you're still going to have to use a concentrate for that. Now, if you were, let's say you're feeding a ration balancer, which is vitamins and minerals, or a concentrate that's fed at a low quantity, because it's very concentrated with vitamins and minerals, and you're adding oats or something, a non-fortified cereal grain to add extra calories. And you're asking whether I can replace that cereal grain that's not fortified with alfalfa. Um, Yes, you could certainly do that. Because really, when you're just adding the oats to the diet, all you're adding is calories. So if we wanted to use a forage-based approach to adding calories to diet, you certainly could do that.
1: I'm glad you differentiated between those two situations. That was really helpful information.
0: Yes, I I really like to try and get people to talk about bags of concentrate and not synonymously use the term grain because grain in my mind is a cereal grain and every bag of concentrate may not actually have a cereal grain in it. So anyway...
1: Well, and it's hard when, I mean, even in the horse industry, you know, we use different lingo, like even yes. like English mm-hmm. versus Western. Yep. I saw mm-hmm. that come up the other day. Um, they were talking about the conversation. What was it? People were saying lope and canter were uh, like the same, but in like, in my they're mind, just, I was thinking of the exact same yeah? scenario. <laughs> Isn't that funny? I I just saw that conversation and then I was curious. I was like, what else are people talking about? But it's just interesting, just depending on how you grow up or what discipline you're more familiar with you just come up with different terms and you're familiar with it and so it's probably incredibly confusing for any person like newly coming into the industry they're like
0: what absolutely <laughs> and and it real and so there are a couple of things where I'm like okay we're we're not going to talk about grain we're going to talk about concentrate cuz really that's what it is but the other one for me because i were globally internationally and it's why I tell people I don't want you to tell me any how many scoops you're feeding your horse I need you to tell me how much in actual weight now in Australia we're going to be measuring in grams and kilograms here in America it's pounds and ounces but you would be surprised here in America people use a lot of coffee cans or they use a, a one quart or 3 quart scoop when I moved here I never heard of a quart, let alone a scoop that was the size of a quart. In Australia, we use what we call ice cream puddles. So it's the plastic, and our ice cream comes in plastic oh, yeah. containers, like a Tupperware yeah. container, and that is the common feed scoop in Australia. Is the ice cream scoop, and so people would tell me, "Well, I feed the pink scoop, or I feed the blue ice cream scoop," and you could kind of get an idea of which one they're feeding. So. That is
1: so interesting. So for for Australians, it's the ice cream scoop. And for Americans, it's the
0: coffee cans, coffee can. And (laughs) I don't know if you're British, maybe it's a baked bean can or something. But yes, when you tell me I'm feeding a pink scoop, or I feed a silver scoop, I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) That is so
1: funny. Oh, okay, going into our next question. One person was wanting to know, should chopped hay be moistened for horses that don't drink a lot? You know, this
0: is a great question, and I would say that if your horse doesn't drink a lot, you struggle to get them to drink, you know, we can add a little salt to the feed or to the forage, but I would wet everything. I would wet the hay, I would wet the chop, I would wet the pellets, I would wet the cubes, I would wet everything to try and get some more moisture into that horse and especially if you know this is one scenario so in the fall we see that the grass dries off and the horses then switch over to eating more of the hay which is very dry versus the grass and we see a lot of impaction colics and that's just a shift in the hydration status of the horse if you have a horse that every year some horses you can set your calendar on when they will have an impaction colic and so there are some horses that certain times of the year I'm just going to wet everything wet everything and try and keep that hydration status more uniform but again certainly if you have a horse that doesn't drink a lot or maybe you go to shows and they don't drink a lot and you do things like you flavor your water at home and that's what the water they're going to drink they still don't drink much and you're worried about that then absolutely get them used to eating wet hay wet forage wet
1: everything that's great that just goes to show like you mentioned how important it is to just know your
0: horse Absolutely. Because then you know, you go to a show and they only drank half a bucket of water in the time at home, they would have drank two buckets of water. That's really negatively going to affect their performance and their health. Yeah, absolutely.
1: So... This kind of goes into talking a little bit about beet pulp, but this person was wondering, can you feed more beet pulp and cut back on hay in a hay shortage?
0: You know, this is a situation where I would be hesitant to do that. And my argument would be that beet pulp is very, very highly digestible. So whilst I would add it into my program, you're going to get more calories from beet pulp than you will from most hayes, even alfalfa. And you might find that if your horse is used to eating long stem hay, but it's running out. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to feed them a bunch more beet pulp to try to make up the difference in the fiber. You might find your horse actually would start chewing wood if they were just craving some of that longer stem non-digestible fiber. So I love beet pulp, but I would be hesitant to feed the majority of the fiber in the horse's diet as beet pulp because it is so digestible.
1: Right. Well, and especially, I mean, if this person who knows what other follow-up questions that they would have, but what if the hay that they're normally feeding their
0: horses is is a grass hay and they're not wanting the calories? Exactly, exactly. So know that every ingredient has a time and a place. So just know your situation know all of the things I'm going to ask. So if you contact Stanley and you're asking, okay, I'm running out of hay. I want to utilize one of your products. Um, Can you help me choose the right one? The the types of questions I'm going to ask first are, what is the age of your horse? What is the teeth, the dentition of your horse? Poor teeth, good teeth. They're the first couple of questions that I would ask. Then I would ask about body weight, fat, thin, maintain well, easy keeper, hard keeper, those kinds of things. Then what do you do with the the horse? Is it a high performance athlete? Do you just trail ride on the weekends? Um, what are you currently feeding the horse? These would be the questions that I would need the answer to. Now, if you ask how much, I'm going to need an estimate of how big your horse is. Okay. Are we talking about a, a 1,200 pound warm blood? Are we talking about a 200 pound pony? Or are we talking about an 1,800 pound, um, you know, percheron or something? So know that no matter which nutritionist you're talking to, there are the questions that that they're going to need to know to help guide you. Make sure you're putting in the right type. That's excellent.
1: Yeah. Uh, so going into another question on beet pulp in this, again, sometimes it's hard with these questions because you don't always have all the, the information, but this person was wondering if there was a proper ratio for mixing beet pulp with hay pellets, if you were feeding both.
0: No, there's not a proper ratio. It depends on all
1: of those questions
0: that I asked you. That you just talked about. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And then another side note that for whatever reason, if someone's not wanting to call in or um, we do have our forage finder on the website as well, that PHN, so Performance Horse Nutrition, which Dr. Cubitt and Dr. Duran, that's their consulting business. They actually help build that forage finder for us and it asks a bunch of those questions too. So if you're in a, in need of a kind of a quick fix, that'd be helpful.
0: Yeah. And for, for most general cases, it's definitely going to get you in the right direction, but if you've got real outliers, go through it, get a bit of an idea. If you've still got questions, that's what we're here for. Right. We want you to succeed and we are here to answer your questions. Absolutely.
1: This question is more in regards to um, winter time, but do pellets keep a horse warm the way that hay is
0: supposed to? This is a great question. So, the whole warmth ish thing comes from those bacteria that live in the hindgut of the horse. When they break down fiber, a byproduct is that they create heat. Okay. And it's not necessarily about the fiber length, but more the type of fiber. So if we're putting in beet pulp, for example, very highly digestible, real easy to digest. So they're probably not going to create as much heat as if you fed the horse a Timothy pillow or a Timothy hay. Um, that being said, the most heat will probably get created with your local First cut grass hay that's really stemmy and high in non digestible fiber because those bacteria have to work really hard to break it down. So it's not necessarily about pellets versus uh, hay. It's more about the type, the variety of fiber, and the the fiber fractions in that species that you're feeding them. Excellent. Okay,
1: and I think this is going to be the the last question that we'll touch on for today. How do you know you are feeding the correct amount
0: of cubes or pellets, and how often? Again, this is really going to come down to the questions that I asked, but the general rule of thumb is what I mentioned at the very beginning. You need to know your horse's body weight and you need to feed them between one and a half to two and a half percent of their body weight in fiber. Okay. So then you have to back calculate. I'm feeding my thousand pound horse is getting 10 pounds of hay a day. And I'm I'm trying to go with the the two percent of body weight. So I'm trying to feed him 20 pounds a day. And I'm gonna feed him, you know, five pounds of alfalfa pellets and five pounds of Timothy Orchard cube or some other cube. And now we're at 20 pounds. Okay. How often? Again, I don't want a horse to have nothing to eat for more than four hours. Remember. From the last mouthful that they take, it can be through the stomach within 30 minutes. And so 30 minutes after that mouthful, if they've not got something else to eat, then that acid in the stomach can build up and build up. And within six hours of then being nothing in the horse's stomach, then we start to see reddening of the stomach tissue, which is inflammation, which then leads to gastric ulcers. So work out how much you want to feed total per day, and you can just back calculate. And then how often you need to feed. I don't want your horse to be without something to chew on for more than four hours. So work out how you need to do that and what kind of contraptions you need to use so that they don't eat their food too quickly. Whether you're making slow feeders or you're using, you know, slow feed hay nets or or what you're using, or you're going out at 10 o'clock at night to throw in some more hay. I'd be more inclined if it was me and I've got, okay, I've got my 10 pounds of hay and I've got these other pellets and cubes. I would be putting the hay because it takes a lot longer for horses to eat hay, that would be the last meal of the day is when I would be putting the bulk of the hay out. Um, Because during the day, it's usually a lot easier, you know, every few hours, making sure they've got something to chew on. Okay.
1: And um, I was curious, based off of what they had in that question, with pellets, if maybe they were just wanting to put in a few pounds of pellets to replace some of their hay It's pound for pound replacement. Would it be a better situation if they split the pellets like as if they were, you know, feeding their concentrate or whatever, you know, multiple times a day?
0: Yeah. And the reason why I would do that is not because I'm worried about overloading the stomach or the small intestine, which I'm concerned about when I'm feeding a grain based concentrate, but just more about stretching it out, you know, so that because the whole goal is we're trying to mimic grazing behavior, that constant nibbling, that constant trickle of food through the digestive system.
1: Right. Right. Well, this has been a lot of really great information, Dr. Cubit. We've covered, you know, a ton of information from the different forage formats with pellets and cubes and chopped and long stemmed. You can even get into different size bales and everything. And then how to transition when you are introducing new feed or forage into your diet program. And so I think this will be really helpful for a lot of listeners today. And as we wrap up this interview... I just want to encourage you all to reach out to us at podcast at stanleyforge.com to share your feedback on our episodes that we've produced so far. And if you have any topic ideas that you would love to hear about, just let us know. We want to hear from you and, and we want to be able to talk to you about what you're interested in hearing more about. So Dr. Cubit, thanks again for another great conversation
0: uh it's always my pleasure katie you know that i can talk all day about this stuff and i would reiterate you know we want to talk about the things that you guys are interested in so take advantage get in touch and let us know what you want to hear about and we'll talk all day about it excellent we will catch you next
1: time bye thanks for listening to the beyond the barn podcast by stanley forage We'd love for you to share our podcast with your favorite people and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite listening platform until next time. Keep your cinch tight and don't forget to turn off the water.